Welcome to the Intern Whisperer. The show is all about the future of work and innovation. Today's Intern Whisperer Employer Tip of the Week is be sure to invite your intern to connect with you personally on social feeds as well as on your company social channels. Remember, this is a really good way for them to learn more about LinkedIn. We want them to have a LinkedIn profile so that they can be tagged on these messages and be able to uh, give them a shout out. They like seeing that. Welcome them to your team. So today's guest is Dana Marie. I'm going to go ahead and say the middle name. Rockmore. She is the owner and founder of the Dinner Party Project. And this is a phenomenal business model. I love it. I remember when you were wanting to expand also to New York. I don't know if that's still going on, but you Mm -hmm. can tell us about that or where you, you are available. But I was telling Matt that the most fun thing about all of this is you meet, it's kind of like not a murder mystery, but a little bit. Because I meet eight strangers, seven strangers, mm-hmm. and I sit down and I know nothing about them and I get to learn about them for the whole evening. So we're going to talk about that a lot more. But our show is all about education, innovation, and the future of industries and jobs. So Matt, you get the odd. I'll take the even. Okay. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us about yourself using only five words. Sure. And why? And why? why those five words? Why those five words? Uh, I would say that I am creative. I love to explore. I love to do things that are hopefully interesting um, and creative in a different, maybe in a different way than than other people are. Um, I would say that I am. I like stylish things, so I like mm-hmm. I like aesthetically pleasing environments, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's your wardrobe or rooms that you walk into or. Just events that you go to. I will say, Matt, <laughs> I'm going to tell you and all of our listeners, you guys should definitely go to her website when she shares that with you, you know, towards the end of the show, because it is beautiful to look at. It is truly out of a magazine, everything that she does. That's very generous. No, it's true. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I would say I am a wanderer. Um, I love to travel. A nomad. Uh, a nomad, yes. I travel really well. I feel uh, I love adventuring. So whether that's domestically or internationally, I do love I do love to wander. I love to travel. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I would hope to say that I am. Um, I don't like patient, but maybe not always patient. But I do. Human. I do hope to be to be patient. Um, and welcoming to everybody. Oh, welcoming. Goodness, yes. Mm-hmm. She is definitely that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the last one uh, f- would be maybe an epi- Epicurean. Like, I love food. Oh, she's so I just cook. I love exploring food. I love eating food. I love making food. I love mm-hmm. serving people food. I love, uh, yeah, all food things. brings people together. Food, absolutely. We all, it's yeah. something that we all, we all need. It's a great equalizer. Yeah, those are good so. words that describe her, but I can tell Matt has a question. Oh, I was just going to wonder is there a specific type of food that's your favorite? That's a hard one. That is hard. I would say up there would be like Italian and sushi, mm. which are very different. Uh, Definitely from each other, yeah. De- yeah, I mean, I love Thai, I love Thai food. I love Mexican food. Um, I really love most most all foods. Yeah, Asian. Food. I can relate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I know your brother. Um, yes. Her brother is Peter, and I I think I almost probably know him better than I know Dana. But um, her brother, he loves Asian food. He that does. That is all he eats. And we have had long conversations about food uh-huh. and you know, grow, him growing up in your family life. I know so <laughs> much about your family. I bet. From, yeah, because he's been really great about sharing. It sounds like the family that just about everybody would like to be in. I am very, very incredibly lucky and blessed uh, to to be in the part of the Rockmore clan, yeah. not not perfect on on any scope. There's things still that we are that we work through as any family does, but uh, I do feel really lucky to have been placed in my family. Mm-hmm. I have four wonderful brothers. That's a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. That is. So she's yes. the only girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Only girl, four younger so brothers. They have to be super protective of you, I would think. Yeah, somewhat. I mean, they're brothers. It was, it was, you know, definitely one a different dynamic growing up. 
a different dynamic now, you mm-hmm. know, so, so we've all grown into our own as humans, as, as adults and yeah. yeah, our dynamics, you know, have shifted and changed and in, in, I think mostly a pretty great way. Mm-hmm. Has having all brothers given you a different perspective or like, a, um, I don't know, like a more robust expect or like perspective of like the human experience and just like everything. Do you have like a more under, like a better understanding of males now because you've had so many brothers? Uh, somewhat. I wouldn't say I'm an expert on the male species. I would say growing up with four boys was always just mm. like a three ring circus. So there's just always, you know, always things going on. There wasn't a ton of fighting, which was nice. I mean, every once in a while for sure, but I mean, it was just kind of like a wild, rowdy crowd that I had to kind of also help to corral and <laughs> and uh, help everything around the house function in that way. So I yeah. had two brothers. Matt is an only child. An only child. Yeah. Wow. That's, not lucky. That's what everybody wants to say. That's but it's, an experience that I had to do not yeah. know. Well, kind of. You're the only girl, so out of the siblings. Only girl, but then there's four other children. I know. So but all the attention did not get just on me. Really? No. Yeah. I would have thought that being the only girl, it would have made it like everybody, boys, you guys are all supposed to take care of your sister. Sure. But I mean, my parents were equally, not equally divided, but they were, they were still, you know, like divided yeah. and taking care of everybody. Gotcha. Yes. Not just me. All right. <laughs> So going to this uh, question number two is, what job did you want to have when you were growing up as a child? Yeah, a good question because I don't feel like I had one really narrow path in that way. I, you know, like maybe it was like a veterinarian or a model or a doctor or a, like, I mean, I just like it as a kid. I mean, that was always changing. I was never somebody who was like, oh, when I grow up, I am going to be X. Like a friend of mine um, that I actually just had on my podcast was telling me that like he knew at 14 he wanted to be a chef. So at 14 he had this very clear vision and then a very clear way of getting to what he wanted to do. And I I never really had that as as a kid. Like I mean that kind of always like shifted and changed. And I really didn't, I mean we'll get to it, but I really didn't kind of land I think where I was supposed to be in my career. I don't know, maybe because you're an entrepreneur and that kind of encompasses anything that you want to be. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've done several different things in my in my kind of pro- professional career in that way. But but uh also I kind of felt that freedom to one pursue what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. like I didn't have to go t- down any one exact path and then two I didn't really ever have like a specific like I'm going to be a veterinarian or I'm going to be a I'm going to run for office or something like that yeah I never really had that drive I had said um I wanted to be an attorney and then I worked for attorneys and I went, mm. no no thank you I don't want to sure yeah. it's really stressful they're very very stressed out so yeah and I can't imagine wanting to be a doctor because you know needles Mm, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So I would have been tagging out on that one. Yeah. Veterinarian. I will say I the only thing that I really has been a through line is probably since I was like a late teenager, I really did feel like a calling to want to serve people and to help them mm. or just to be be a, a way to, to enhance or to, yeah, to serve people. And so I think that, you know, I, that has always been something that whatever profession that I'm in has always been focused on focused serving. on that. Yeah. yeah. I do want to serve people mm. well. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So your educational, ba- well, I'm jumping into yours. Well, that's okay. I was, I was actually wondering like, what is the dinner party project and what is your, like, sure. how did your education like kind of feed into that? Yeah. You yes. have to go back to the, you know, the roots. Like where did you go to school? <laughs> So, I actually went to school here at Valencia <gasps> for two Yay. years. Yes. I started... This campus? This campus. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. We lived on Dean Road. Um, How much has it changed since you went to school here? Is oh. It, is it bigger? Of course. Well, I mean, I haven't... I started school they here... Have nine buildings. In... I think I started in 2002 or 2003. Actually, it's probably 2003. Mm-hmm. So very long, like I graduated high school, but then I didn't start college for a couple of years. So I traveled, I did some missions work, I 
did a couple of things kind of... I so believe in a gap year and or a time where people like... Especially if you don't have that direct purpose where you're going straight from high school, which has already been an experience, and then directly into college, which is, to me, you know, somewhat... It's like if you don't know exactly what you're going for, then like why start that journey mm-hmm. so I still didn't know what I was <laughs> I took a couple years off and then 2003 probably I started at Valencia because I was like I don't know exactly what I want to do but mm-hmm. I know that if I'm going to get a college degree which I, I wanted to do um, I was going to have to get all my general ed out of the way mm-hmm. and Valencia just seemed like the best option I mean obviously there was UCF and you know Rollins and some other places but I just was like to me, I was like, why would I pay that amount to go somewhere to be in a classroom of like 250 people? I get right. no individualized attention. So I was like, yeah, so Valencia seemed like a good, because I was also like, I don't even know exactly where I'm headed. Like, I know that I mm-hmm. have to take like college algebra and statistics and like English 101 and a bunch of other stuff. So I was like, I might as well just like start there. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like, yeah, I did that for two years ish, somewhere in. Most of it was in person, and then some of it was online, I think. Hmm. And then I just graduated with an AA in, like, general studies or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I just got that out of the way. So how many yeah. buildings were on the campus at that time? There's oh, nine gosh. now, so. I have no idea. Well, I was just yeah. wondering if it is half the size of it it was. Sure. Now. I mean, I just, most of it was, like, in that roundabout. I mean, I just oh. know, like, I would yeah, go there. Yeah, that's, like, two, three, four, I think, is what's in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or three, four, and five. That's what's in there. Yeah. Okay. The theater, the library, and then the dining hall and career services. Okay. That's what's in that roundabout now. Sure. I've been at this campus a lot. <laughs> like, <laughs> You can tell. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I took a, only a couple of classes over at the West Campus off of Kirkman. Oh, yeah. So that was a trek. I think it was like because I had to because they weren't like available when I needed them or they weren't available. The classes weren't available over here or something like that. But, I mean, I pretty much took all the classes here at this campus. Yeah. Yeah. I think this, well, I think West was their first campus. Well, anyway. Yeah. And <laughs> we're moving on from Valencia for sure. So where did you go from when you got the degree? Did you take the gap year? Well, I took the gap year before okay. because I graduated um, in 1998. High school, you mean? High school. Mm. Yeah, I'm dating myself. So then from there to 2003, several years. So traveled, worked some jobs. Did, yeah. Um, so did Valencia for a couple of years. And then I uh, transferred to a school called Regent University, which is in Virginia. Virginia I've heard Beach. of that school. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Isn't it a national school? Like it's all online or? So it's not. They have a campus. Okay. Um, yes. And so it's in Virginia Beach. I actually did it. So they were actually back in 2005. I started there in 2005. And so they were actually just starting, I think they're online courses or online campus or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I went 100% online. Mm. And so I've never been to their campus. So I, I mean, yeah. So I just did everything, obviously, virtually. Um, that was, I guess, fairly innovative back in 2005. What did you think of online courses? Did it really appeal to you? Um, somewhat, yes and no. I, um, at this point, I was seeking a degree, and I got a, a degree in psychology with a minor in substance abuse counseling. Um, I had... I had started counseling in 2003 myself and so that was just such a huge pivotal time in my life to address things and heal and have an unbiased third party opinion Mm -hmm. was like just I think everybody should have access to to that to counseling so anyway so I was like well maybe I'll be a counselor so I chose this school they had they had that program and then I had started working in events um, in 2005, and so I was traveling for the events, and so the remoteness of um, being online just allowed me to be able to work events and like mm. be able to do school wherever I was. So, so when you were doing events, was it as you, just you, or were you working with somebody else at the no, time? No, like I hired? was. Yes, 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 yes. So I started with this company in in 2005, and then I was con- a contractor with them, and so they would put on large scale events, like like 
anywhere from like 3,000 to 30,000 people. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I would do event logistics for them. So we, I would just come in for the event to whatever city that they are having the event in and then just, just execute the event. Mm. Um, so you do like the load in, all the load in, all the, all the backstage stuff set up. And then the event days would be like 14 to 16 hours. Wow. And then sometimes there would be one event day, sometimes there would be two, and then all the all that kind of stuff. So uh, it was it was a mix. I think that I would have preferred more in person, and especially with some of the classes, like I did have to take some advanced like statistic courses. And math is not my strong suit by any stretch of the imagination. And so some of that was more challenging not having I mean, I think I could email my professor or maybe we had like a phone call or something, but I just like struggled so hard with some of those classes online. And it's not like now where it's like maybe you would FaceTime your professor mm-hmm. or you would have like, there was like boards, you know, like community boards that you could like post things to. But um, so, I mean, it allowed me to do, to travel. It allowed me to do have a job. It allowed me to not have to be at any certain place at a certain time, which I, I liked. But then also had its drawbacks, you know, like it's like, you know, only online. So you're only doing papers and you're only doing mm-hmm. discussion boards and you don't know your classmates and, you know, you're not building any of those, you know, college relationships in that way. Right. Yeah. I think college, I've said this before on the show, and I guess Matt might, I don't know, you tell me if you agree. Um, I think that college is where people go to learn more about themselves and how to socialize, mm-hmm. maybe inappropriately, but also, you know, in large groups. It's not the same as high school, but it's definitely not like professional life. So there's this place of... I think it's it depends who you are. Out who you are. Figuring out who you are. But like I said before, I think sometimes people really know what they want and they're very driven to have this like you know, very, um, tunnel narrow vision. tunnel vision of like, I want to be the best here. I'm going to, I want to achieve this. I, mm-hmm. I want to get the internship. I want to advance in my career. I'm here for that purpose. So sometimes people, it's definitely there to party, definitely there to explore and find themselves. I think other people have a very different college experience in in that way. Mm. That's true. Mm-hmm. All right. So you went from all of this. When did you start your business? I did not start my business until much, much later. Um, I was with the, that company and some other companies doing events, and so I did that for about four and a half years. Um, was this like corporate events or weddings, or did you have They any were like conferences. Ooh, those are really mm-hmm. big. Yeah, big conferences with like sales breaks. So basically they put on these conferences to have a couple different sales breaks throughout the day, and then they were selling these products. Um and so that was their that was their gig kind of deal. Yeah. yeah. That sounds like being down at the iDrive at the uh, the concourse, right? Doing any of the special events down there? Uh-huh. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, so Orange County Convention Center. That's yep. it. Yeah. Orange County Convention Center. Exactly. Yep. So it would be like very large scale in that way. So there was a couple different roles that I did when I was there um, for that amount of years and it was it was really a fun experience. I, I, there, it was not perfect and there was, you know, things about it that were not great, but there was a lot of, I really, we had this team that we would travel with, you know, and it kind of, some of the people changed over the four and a half years. My brother James worked with me for a lot of that, which was so much fun. Peter came on a couple of shows. Mm -hmm. Um, but it really created this like family dynamic. And so, you know, we had like maybe two dozen people that we would work with you know, I would see them like twice a month, you know, as we did these large scale events and you're putting in long hours and like sometimes it's stressful, you know, like events are and, you know, everyone's kind of like pulling through together. So we were this young bunch of kids kind of in our usually or 20s, 30s, 40s, um, a couple of people that were, were older, but yeah, mostly it was like 20s, 30s. Mm. So yeah, we were like kind of learning on the road and pulling off these big, large-scale events. And um, yeah, so I, d- I had done that. And then I just, I had in my last year that I was there, 2009, I did, I think like 32 events in 52 weeks. And I was Holy just cow. 
like exhausted. exhausted. Yeah, I was like, I can't. This is not sustainable. That's called road warrior. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. So I was, I was, I was. Yeah, I had, I had been there for several years and kind of knew that it was my time to kind of move on. But that was a very emotional because, like I said, I had this crew, which some of them are, you know, like many of them are still my friends today, mm-hmm. and um, I just, we just all learned a lot together during that time. So after that, I started a business called Other People's Property, and so I was selling vintage clothes and doing clothing swaps and doing markets and helping people to um, have a wardrobe that would work for them in their lifestyle. So Ooh, I them. like that. <laughs> yeah, it's called Closet Consultations. So I loved serving them and helping them to figure out like if they're an attorney or they're a stay-at-home mom or if they've got a really active job or if they just want something for like a date night with their mm-hmm. partner. Um, so I would just come into their home and then help them either like purge all the things that maybe they don't need, help them figure out like a short list of maybe here's some things you could add to your wardrobe that would help you to yeah and body then, shape and making body sure shape colors yeah. all that kind of stuff and then kind of like styling so how do you pull everything together you know like the stuff that you have in your wardrobe things that we may have gotten that you need you know like a great pair of jeans or a really mm-hmm. good pair of you know shoes or something like that so yeah it started that in 2009 um, and then I realized like selling vintage I was like you have to sell a lot of vintage to, I had, I had to break even to, yeah, I, I had worked for a lot of years. And so I had saved up this little like nest egg. And so I was like, I mean, it wasn't like crazy much, but I was like, okay, well I can quit my job, start my own thing and then give myself a little like runway. But I learned very, very quickly. Like, I mean, being an entrepreneur is it's One hard. not for everybody. Yeah, it's it's hard. Like yeah. I mean, especially if like I am I am the creative and the ideas person, but my passion is not for business. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I didn't have a business model. I started it with a friend and we were just like I think that's how <clears throat> most people do it. They they have no concept as to what it takes to start a business. Oh, I'll start one. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they'll they'll quit after a while, but you know, it's a, it's a big learning curve. Yes. A lot. It Even is. if you took business classes, it is still a big learning curve. Yeah, because you have to wear a lot of different hats. You have to really know, I mean, between finance and Every marketing department. and being social with, you know, if you're selling things, you have to be, you know, someone that can interact well with people. And there's just, yeah, so many different levels. And um, yeah, so I did that and I enjoyed that for a couple of years, um, but kind of realized how much it was to kind of make an income from that um you said you were selling vintage in 2009 mm -hmm. that's like pretty ahead of the time i mean like vintage is like pretty popular now i mean Mm -hmm. you go into target and you see everybody you know ripping off the def leopard t-shirts and stuff yeah but like like vintage is like very lucrative now and there's a lot of people doing it and, and making some pretty good money on it like you were really ahead of the curve yeah it was interesting because when we started etsy was like just taking off Mm -hmm. And so we were on Etsy, and we were doing, like, pretty well on there. Um, But, like, even now, or even, like, towards the end of when I had this company, I mean, it's just so oversaturated. And eBay and stuff like that is just, like, um, it was kind of on the beginning end of people being more interested in that. And then then we would also give back um, to Mission of Hope in Haiti, like, 10% of what we made, we would give back. And so that was also kind of, like a newer concept of like a socially, um, social minded, responsibility, social responsibility. Yeah. yeah. So we, we kind of started with those things. Um, and then tried to, I tr- yeah, trying to like, kind of make that all of that work. And then it was yeah, exciting and then it was frustrating mm-hmm. and I, you know, it's everything. It's everything. You go home and cry sometimes and nobody knows what's going on. It's a lot. Yeah. yeah so lot. I always tell people like, you know, like if you want to be an entrepreneur and you feel like that is your path, like absolutely. But if not, like, like think about it before you take that dive, like don't quit your, your corporate job. Oh my God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I tell that to people too. So don't quit the job until you're making as much as what it takes to sustain you right now. Or you marry well, somebody (laughs) that's going to support you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, baby, go ahead. You do whatever you want. Right. You inherit a lot. Or, you know, you're going to be faced with the fact that, yes, you will be living a very 
small, meager life for quite a while unless you're like super good. Unless, yeah, unless your business is dynamite, which some people... Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Their business can grow or they just hit at the right time and it'll take off for them or something like that. So obviously there's no guarantees in life in general at all, whatever job you're at. Mm -hmm. But the entrepreneur life, I think, is not to be taken lightly in that way. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So from there, I started to work for Credo, downtown Credo. Nice. Yes. I they, did not know that. So you I and did. Ben. Yep, me and Ben and Nicole and um, our friend Stefan, a couple other people back in the day when they had their uh, college park location. Um, yeah. I just, I, I kind of found them also in like 2010, right when I was starting my business. So I was like back, I was home doing, doing my thing. And so I'd work out of there a lot. And then they were just starting up. Um, and then in 2012, they needed, they were, they were doing events and they were renting out the shop and doing their Mm -hmm. own events. And so I came on for about a year and a half with them to help them with their events. Um, and I just, yeah, I kind of fell in love with Credo and their Credo, which is kind of like living your life with meaning, impacting community. And that resonated with me so much and my desire to serve people and, what I wanted to be about. So yeah, so I was doing my own company, but then I needed some additional income. So then I was working for Credo part-time. So I did that for for a year and a half. And then I got to the end of 2013 and I was trying to do my own business. And then I was doing Credo and I just was like kind of burned out. And I was also taking like freelance jobs and stuff like that. So I just kind of got to the end of the year and I was like, I am so tired. And, you know, sometimes we get to spaces where we were working so hard that we're not really enjoying life. Mm-hmm. We're not enjoying the process and in the, in the journey along the way. And so I had worked a lot and I did, again, kind of like had saved up some money. So I did what any normal responsible adult would do. And I went on a sabbatical and I kind of like paused my business and then credo stuff kind of came to a close and I just was like, I just need a break. I just need to get out of Orlando. I just, I like, I love to travel. And so that gives me so much life and joy. And um, I uh, had some friends that were living over in, well, I, I wanted to go to Sydney, Australia. And so I had remem- remembered that a friend of mine was over there. And so they graciously hosted me in Sydney wow. for almost two months, which was um, incredibly beyond um, generous to because ha- it is so expensive over the, in Sydney, Australia, Australia in general. Really? Oh, it's so expensive. It's like <clears throat> New York, even might be more than you. I mean, it's just I got over there and I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to budget my money <laughs> a little bit more than I thought I was going yeah. to. Yes, that surprises me. It really does. I that Australia is expensive. Yeah, I mean, it's oh, so yeah. remote. You have to ship everything there like nothing is like made on the island right so like they have to ship in milk and like everything so everything well, I, is just so expensive i get that Same thing with new zealand new zealand's really expensive too yeah australia i'm thinking well first off i'm thinking it's big because there's kangaroos there uh-huh you know yeah and you know other exotics uh-huh. so and i'm thinking crocodile dundee so i'm thinking yes i figure it's remote but there's also a city that has life to it and it it's does? well known for it. So I would have thought it would have been... Um, I mean, if you live in Australia and make Australia salaries, then you're also doing yeah. pretty good. But as a foreigner, with the exchange rate, I think, yeah, it just... it was So over there, you would go to a restaurant, and they don't really do tipping. But like, let's say you would go just to an average restaurant. We're not talking like something... We're talking like... So your a burger would be like 17 to $20. Whoa. Yeah. Because tip is included, obviously tax is included, but then just that's for a burger. McDonald's. (laughs) And and, um, not that I obviously drink a ton, a ton, but um, alcohol is really taxed there, like highly, and cigarettes, I don't smoke, but so those things are like really expensive. Like we went out for drinks one night, my friend got the job that she wanted or whatever. And so we went out to drinks and I think we got two, we each got one cocktail at this like nice hotel and it was like $42. Whoa. For like two cocktails. That's insane. So, I mean, it's, it was like 
very, the cost of living there was like a ton. Wow. So fortunately, I was staying where I was staying was within walking distance of Bondi Beach, which is in the mo- one of the most incredible beaches ever around. Um, but there's so many, obviously, so much coastline there and so many beaches and so just so much beauty, like hiking and the out, you know, yeah, the outback. Um, I took one week out of that two months and then I went up to Queensland and that's where the Great Barrier Reef is. So I stayed in like a hostel there, which I didn't realize at the time did not have air conditioning. And I was like, what in the world was I thinking? Because I'm like on somewhat of what of a budget, of course, because I had to fly up. You have to fly up there. It's not like close to Sydney. Mm. But I was like, I'm all the way in Australia. Like, obviously, I'm going to go see the Great Barrier Reef. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the water. I love swimming. So anyway, so that was fun. And I just went with like no kind of like intention or purpose. I was just like, I'm just going to take a time and um, just pause, you know. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So then I went to New Zealand as well. So I was there for three weeks, um, three plus weeks. And so I had some friends over there also that I stayed with, which was fun. I made some new friends when I was over there. Um, I got to go to Hobbiton, which I am a big Lord of the Rings fan. And so Hobbiton oh, wow. is the is like a working sheep farm. And so basically they had done all the sets for the Lord of the Rings. And then when they came back to do The Hobbit, they made a deal with the farm or whatever that they like rebuilt all the sets, but then they had to make them permanent so they could create this like tourist attraction. Right. Oh, that so was people, smart. Mm-hmm. So I, I paid like 75 euros for like a tour of the that place. That sounds like $75. Yeah, but it's more because you're oh. the, or the Australian dollar. I guess it wasn't a euro. I, I do take that back. Um, $75 Australian dollars which is, or, or New Zealand dollars. But, um, I mean, it was worth it because, yeah, it was it was wonderful. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was uh, yeah, New Zealand was so incredibly gorgeous. I mean, it is like heaven on earth. Like, it really is all the things that you see this, in the films. Gordon Ramsay did an episode there. Okay. At uh, New Zealand, and I went, wow. It, it was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're always foraging for all types of uh, food. Did you end up doing that while you were there? Were you Foraging? Into, yeah, to create recipes. Were you, like, cooking at that time? No. Mm-mm. I was eating at that time. Yeah. I mean, well, I wanted to eat everything, so. Yeah. But I wasn't, no, I wasn't kind of, like, there for inspiration or foraging mm. in that way. So how did you yeah. get to the dinner party project? Yes, yeah, so we're, we're getting there. So basically I had this three-month adventure. I spent all my money. I just went went crazy, went, went for broke. And so I, can't, I come back, and this is late, uh, or this is middle of 2014, and then I come back and basically, you know, I kind of like don't have a job. I don't have any money. I... Don't know what I'm doing next. Like, the adventure is over. I had, had you know, mostly a really wonderful time. But it's back to Orlando, back to reality. It's like that post-vacation depression. <laughs> kind of like, you're like, oh. Vacation. I don't know what those are. Back it's like Monday, to, but for a whole month. That, yeah. Um, back to reality. So a, a friend of mine around that time had asked, you know, kind of like, what brings you joy and what brings you life? And what are you not doing that you should be doing? And so I thought on that, and I thought, well, I guess if I could just do, like, anything that I wanted to do, I would throw dinner parties. I love gathering people around my dinner table. You know, I do that intrinsically, and I just love the kind of the magic that happens around a dinner table, which is is just gathering with food and drink and questions. And so I was like, I have this idea. I'll throw everyone's name into a pot that wants to participate and grab, you know, seven names out of a hat and then I'll invite them. My dinner table seats eight people. I'll be the host. I will do drinks and we'll do four courses. Um, I love eating a lot. I love drinking. So I just wanted to be able to like have this kind of like set time that people could come and meet new people. Like, so I've lived in Orlando now for 20 years. Back then it was 14 years, but I mean, I had, you know, met so many people out at like, social things like you kind of meet them and you might make small talk and you might see them again but you don't really know them that well you don't know their background and what drives them what their family's like and their history and 
So I was like, I want to kind of know some of these people better. And then I also have some really deep friendships in Orlando. And I feel like some of the most kind, creative, generous, incredible people live in Orlando. And so I wanted some of those friends to know Mm. each other. And then I wanted to meet new people myself. So I was like, I'll just kind of throw everyone's everyone together and then we'll do introductions like who's here and who's doing what. And then we'll do some fun questions and we'll just see what happens. You know, I was like, I was like, I don't know if anybody's going to come, but I was like, I'll put this out there. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I am good at is like, I am a risk taker. And so that's always been kind of like in my comfort zone somewhat. So just mm-hmm. kind of putting things out there. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. Um, but yeah, so I just so, have this idea. So I'm going to add on to what she's uh, also saying. So she would bring in a local chef. It did not start that way. Oh. Oh, yeah. At the very beginning. You were the chef, right? Yes. Okay. But I was also trying to be the host, and it was like too much. I very quickly realized. So I had started that way for a couple of months in the very, because in the beginning, it was not a business. It was like, I'm back from my trip. I'm in a weird place. I need something that I can be motivated to like move towards and have like something that I'm passionate about. So I just kind of threw myself into that. But it wasn't a business idea. It was just Mm. like, so I just was like, I'll make food. I'll make drinks. Um, So a couple months into it, I met up, I met with, uh, I actually met uh, Brittany from Farm and House before they had really started. So they were just starting and then I was just starting. And so basically they were my first guest chefs. Nice. And how did it transition into a business? Were you charging per seat or did you kind of have this idea of like, did you do themed dinners or like how did that kind of transition? Yeah. So at the very beginning, it was like a twice a month Sunday separate club. So it was like every other Sunday night. And then I would just like, you got it at the very beginning. It was like, you got an invitation. So Mm. you, you put your name in, in the lottery and then, Oh, like Bill is selected. Oh, Laura is selected. Oh, like, whomever is selected and so you would get an email to come and come to the dinner it was a very very low amount at the very beginning and I very quickly learned that I was losing money (laughs) and so I was like okay well so I have to like bump up my prices I have to figure that out I have to figure out an invite system I have to figure things out and then people were coming which was crazy um and I had started Instagram right as I started it and so people were starting to come without knowing me and that's why I was like I was like oh my goodness like people are like this is a business right so then after that so then I was like okay and I had done um you know an LLC for my other business and so I just kind of like did the same thing and I was like okay so now it's legit and then now you have to figure out how to run a business Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she would um, still, I, I just found it so intriguing. So it's strangers and we all come there and we have to introduce ourselves. She gave us cards that were there. The table was gorgeous. It was straight out of a magazine. And there was a, a menu card that I, I don't know if it was email, if it was mailed to me. I think it was, I'm not sure. But I remember it was like on beautiful paper and everything. I think it must have been at the event, right? Yeah, we don't email the menu before. So you don't know the menu and you don't know who you're having dinner with. That is true. Right. That's exciting. So it's at (laughs) pop-up places, just random places. So it could be in a warehouse. It could be in an air hangar. It could have been in a vestibule of a church. It could be anywhere. So definitely pop-up and added to the mystery of the event, so to speak. And then when you come in there, um, there were uh, signature cocktails. And I just was, I was blown away by it because it was, it was magical. I, I'm going to tell you that. It was really magical when I went to one of the events. I've only been maybe twice. I think once. But I'm going to say twice. So you get cocktails. You're meeting with people. Well, you've been to at least two. Because yeah. one regular one and then one the TED. TEDx. TEDx. Yeah, that's why I was counting it as two. Right. Yeah. Two. At least yeah. two. But I was working that one. So. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> so it was like not right. quite the same, you know, where I got to sit down with everybody. But right. anyway... Um, so you're sitting down, you have these questions that you get to ask everybody. Um, she had four courses, so I know there was an appetizer. Mm-hmm. No, there were hors d'oeuvres mm-hmm. and then a starter course, the starter course. So with that could super been salad, su- super salad, mm-hmm. the entree and then dessert. The dessert. Yeah. yeah. And we got to meet the chef. 
you know, whoever the local chef was. And it was all like locally grown and it was, you know, super, super healthy. I mean, I left feeling satisfied as well as, you know, really enjoying it and met lots of cool people. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And she has this business so. and it is amazing. And I want everybody to know about it because it really is a, a cool thing to do. Thanks. Do you also do it for other people? Like, and if they say, hey, I want to do it in my home, do you? Yeah, so we have private parties, which is mm. kind of like the most important thing right now. So we're doing dinner for eight right now, so anyone's welcome to join us. You guys okay. should both come sometime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's been a lot of fun to feel reconnected kind of after this time of not being so connected. Uh, and then private parties is really what has kept us alive. So if people have an anniversary or a birthday or a team building dinner or a corporate event or a holiday party or any type of gathering that would make sense, you know, for us. And then we kind of can custom create a dinner party, you know, mm-hmm. for their for their specific needs. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Mm-hmm. So that is the dinner party project. Yes. Mm-hmm. So who kind of influenced like all of this. Who is who would be the most influential person in your life? Yeah, I would say probably my dad would be. Um, he passed away about three and a half years ago, so he's no longer among the living. But um, sorry to hear that. Yes, uh, me too. But he was just such a friendly face and friendly mm-hmm. person, and he just genuinely loved all people, no matter who. I mean, he was in the Oval Office with Reagan. And he would talk to the guy behind the counter at McDonald's, you know, and he just like genuinely like cared for all people. And mm. that I think was like such a, you know, an impression on me. Of, yeah. Peter said that his dad would just start up a conversation no matter where he was. Yes. No matter what, no matter who, no matter if you had time or not. <laughs> yeah. He would, and he said he was sometimes a little bit a little bit more flirty, you know? <laughs> you know, and I said, is that where you kind of like from? Peter, kind of like Peter, yeah. kind of like yeah. Peter. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was just very, very like a warm and welcoming person. He was in that way. That's so, awesome. Yeah. He did get to come to a couple dinner parties. So that was awesome that he got mm-hmm. to see that for sure. And your family, yes. um, served in ministries. Yeah. Over the years. Yeah. My dad had a nonprofit that was also kind of helping, you know, wanting to help serve people. So we kind of learned that pretty early on. Um, he had some initiatives that were helping people to be thankful for what Mm -hmm. we have in America. We have so many blessings. We have so much, I mean, even if you're at the, at the bottom of the, at the rung of the bottom rung, you know, like we have a lot of things that are broken in the United States of America, but we have a lot of privilege. Way more than other people. We have a lot of blessings. And just even just like infrastructure of like, we have a library, you know, system. We have trash collectors, you know. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. These very basic needs that, you know, as I have traveled, I've seen that sometimes they don't exist in every spot. They don't have public toilets. We are. places where you can go get phone, make phone calls. We have a lot to be thankful for. Yes. Yes. Traveling has opened my eyes to that also. Mm -hmm. Every time I've come back, I go, wow. Yeah. So much. Too extravagance also. So much extravagance. I mean, our, our just our grocery stores alone are like, I have 17 options for mayonnaise. It's sometimes it's like, too, it's, it's a lot. Decision fatigue. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I think my dad really influenced, uh, has influenced me in a lot of good ways and, mm-hmm. you know. So what are you most proud of? That's a pretty big question. I mean, in that way, uh, yeah, I definitely am proud of you know growing the dinner party project and and what we've done and we've been able to connect thousands of people over seven years and so I think the first year kind of coming to to the end of that first year and we had our first year anniversary party, I just remember thinking back like, wow, we did it, we're here, like people actually showed up for this thing and. Um, we pulled off our one year party. Um, I am really proud of what this is accomplishing. Mm-hmm. Hopefully is, is making people feel a little bit more connected. Yeah. yeah. Relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, we're made for relationships, I believe totally, you know, as, as just humans. Yeah. And as such having connection and relationship, whether it's just for that moment or, you know, you've probably have heard this. It's either for a, a reason, a season, or for life. 
And sometimes the reason is just one moment. Mm -hmm. You don't know the impact that anybody can have. And I'm pretty sure Matt would agree with that too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. They're some of the most important people and some of the most important times in my life have come from just like random occurrences with people on the street. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or you just like very similar to your dad, just striking up a conversation with somebody, not expecting it to go anywhere and it changes the whole direction of your life. Mm -hmm. And that's just like just the nature of being human, I guess. Mm -hmm. How I met Matt was I had gone to a full cell recruiting event. And from there, I got Dave and Dave introduced me to Matt. So you never know those. You never know. How you meet people. And how I met Dave was really weird, too, because I was just having a meeting with my teacher and he was like, oh, you know, he was, it was so funny. He was mentioning how like, you just got to put yourself in positions where opportunity will arise Mm -hmm. and like things will fall in your lap if you just position yourself underneath those things. And I was having a meeting with him and I was talking about that. And then 30 minutes later, one of my future teachers who I hadn't had yet was running by on his way to a gig. And he's like, I'm looking for people to help on this. Do you want to help? Where are you going to be at five o'clock? Be Mm -hmm. at Parks Ave. And I was there and I worked a gig with him and that's how I met Dave. And then that has opened up an incredible amount of opportunity mm-hmm. for me and, and the work that I'm doing now. And, and yeah. it just came from having a meeting with my teacher that like a lot of other people weren't doing. And it's just so strange. And now here I am. <laughs> so You never know. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to take a real quick break yes. to acknowledge our sponsors. So. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. And we're back. This part of our show is about the future of jobs and industries in 2030. All right. So what do you predict the future of your industry? We'll call it hospitality and food. And jobs will be in 2030. You know, it can include anything, which is robots, AI, automations, augmented reality, virtual reality, teleporting, whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. Or anything we did not name? Good question. I am on the end of um, this human connection of being together in person. And so that is my hope that will remain. I am a little bit nervous about AI and augmented reality and virtual, like that, all that stuff. I think there are... I think ways that it can be very beneficial, especially in trainings and and things of that nature. But I also think that it can also very easily be a negative thing for society in living in false realities in the way that that has the impact on the mind and kind of not living in reality with other humans because we're human. Mm -hmm. And so to have that real human connection can never be replaced, I don't think. No. Um, and that would be my hope that that would remain. Um, I think even now it's, it's, it's not harder to have people be interested in a dinner party, but I think people do entertain less than they did maybe 20, 40 years ago. And so even the art of like entertaining and setting a Mm. dinner table and time that you're dedicating to being with humans there's so much distraction right now. There's so much, you know, there's so much social media. There's so so many channels that you can have. There's so much to be distracted by. So like, Yeah, it's too much now. I think more than ever, it's important to, like, keep hospitality strong. You know, like, going out for a meal, spending time together, spending quality time together. Um, you know, things might be adjusted a bit in the terms of, like, Maybe there's more automation for things. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's also a reality is like the more automated, the less jobs there are. And mm-hmm. that's a reality for people and families. And um, that impacts the industry quite a bit. Now, we saw that with COVID because of COVID, you know, people were essential workers and then they didn't feel safe going to the workplace. So there was a lot of um, loss in that mm-hmm. industry, the food and mm-hmm. beverage and obviously hospitality and so then when things opened back up we saw that people weren't going back to those jobs anymore sure so i can definitely see that people would be innovators would be thinking at least in those industries well we can get robots to come and clean rooms and we could get you know because they have the little thing that will vacuum the room for you so Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure i i've heard of other people that said robots have served them food 
There's some restaurant, oh. and it's in Kissimmee, where a robot will bring you your food. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, we looked it up. Um, it's not on the tip of my tongue right now. Okay. But with that, you know, there is this place, and somebody else had uh, also said that they were at a, um, a park, a state park, mm-hmm. and you went to a vending machine, you paid, and then the robot brought it out to you. So there's this place where, yes, it's already there, mm-hmm. where automations and robots are, are certainly in play. Um, the ability to, you know, socialize and I'm going bouncers, how would they handle these kind of things? Like what you think about when you go to either a concert or a bar or things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, obviously you could go and get a drink made. So I feel like there's going to be this place of, yes, that would be the speedy thing. But if you're looking for something like what you're describing, where it's definitely more human, that's going to become the elitist Hmm. model. Whereas no, you're not dealing with you know, a robot, we'll say, that's either cleaning the room or bringing you your food, you can actually sit down at a restaurant or the dinner party project (laughs) and have real food brought to you by a human, a made by a real human, instead of going through the process of... Yeah, I think that's a big part of the hospitality industry and especially of like a restaurant or a bar. Like my, my brother in Nashville is a server and so, so much of his job is that relational. And like when you go out to eat, having a great server enhances your experience. It like yeah. helps you order, helps you figure out what you like or what you don't like. You know, like navigating a menu, a bartender. I mean, that's why you go to a lot of bars is because sometimes like you know your bartender and you have a relationship with them and you know like they know what you like they're also your therapist (laughs) sometimes right sometimes yeah yeah so i hope that that would never be lost or like that would never be replaced by you know i think there could be some things that would be helpful and that would aid um aid that process uh but like you said i mean right now it's also hard to get people to get back i think i think it was good and hard for the industry Mm -hmm. um because there are like Working, I've never, I was a hostess one time, but I I have never been on a line. I have never washed dishes in the back of a restaurant. Um, these are hard jobs. Yeah, like, they are. They're not, they're not easy jobs. And so, you know, I think it was good and hard for the industry to like have a wake up call to say like, are you going to pay me like $17 an hour to like stand on the hot sweaty line and like push out food for six hours a night? You know, like I think people also, you know, the restaurant industry like as a consumer we also have to be really realizing like what it actually takes to make our food you know from like the ground all the way to your plate exactly sustainability all like how much people can like how much they need to people need to make you know like and so it's like how do you how do you keep on paying a dishwasher nine dollars an hour how are they supposed to have a living you know but a dishwasher is so crucial to a restaurant you know, or a bar back at a bar. You know, like these humans are crucial to making, you know, restaurants work mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. in that way. And those are those marginal jobs that, you know, we were talking about last week is, you know, you fall into that space. It's marginal. Is it somebody that can be replaced? If it's replaced by something that is robotic or automations or whatever, then what happens to those people? Where do they mm-hmm. go to next? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that like your line of work kind of directly opposes like kind of the advancements of technology, right? Mm-hmm. You're trying to just like reestablish and keep alive like those core traditions that are like super valuable in just in just society, I guess, where mm-hmm. you're just trying to like have those human connections and like let's put the phone down and take a step back and just right. sit down and like connect with each other and like even like Isabella was mentioning like look, this is a a local chef who grew everything locally and it's just kind of like better understanding sustainability and, and each other and just kind of, you know, it, that's, it's really interesting that that question was brought up just given your, your industry. Mm, yeah. Hard to believe we're at the, almost the end of our show here. So we <laughs> only have our last couple of questions. Um, best mentoring advice that you want to share with our listeners? Uh, yes. So if you are mentoring somebody, I would say to, understand their motivation and where they Mm -hmm. want to go and like who I think we're all created very differently Mm -hmm. and our motivations are very different and the end place and how we get there can be obviously it's a different journey for everybody but there can be a lot of different um 
expectations or different reasons that they want to, you know, like end in, in a certain position. And so like understanding, I think their motivation and then how they operate, like some people are more internal, some people more external, they communicate in, in different ways. They feel reward, they feel valued in different ways. And so like understanding maybe what some of those levels are like, and so mm-hmm. how you can best kind of know them as a human and then kind of be um, a support to them and teach them in the way that they would best receive it. Right. So they so can So basically, grow. it is not about you. It is all about the other person. Supporting It's them. both, yeah. yeah. It's both, yeah. Because you have to bring your dynamic into yeah. it, right? So you're bringing yourself in the way that you communicate, but it's, it's the self-awareness on your end, and then it's the care and compassion that you would have to bring somebody along to help them grow into their whole... Best version Yes, and my friend said the the other day the most whole version of yourself, mm-hmm. right? And so it's not about this like best tier, this best whatever, but we're all complex human beings. So it's becoming the most whole person that you are. Mm-hmm. I can get behind that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just mindfulness, right? Just mindfulness. being mindful of where you're at and and everybody's goals and. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how can our listeners contact you? Your website, yes. your social channels? We would love for everyone to join us around the dinner table. Uh, mm-hmm. We do Dinner for Eight, like I said, uh, which is our most accessible uh, dinner, and it's so much fun. So we have a couple dinners coming October 13th, October 27th, and November 3rd. So those are our next couple of dinners. Um, we are on Instagram, of course. Who isn't, except for yesterday? For six mm-hmm. hours. Um, what we are, you can find us at at underscore the dinner project, dinner party project underscore. Mm-hmm. So that is a way to like really keep in touch with what's coming up. Uh, we have a newsletter, uh, which you can find on our website, which is the dinner party project dot co that Peter designed for me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the best way w- would be to email me directly. I love to answer any questions or um, have a private party or get connected with the dinner. So my email is Dana Marie at hello tdpp.com. All right. So they can reach out to me there. Well, that sounds great. So right now we're going to go and say thank you to our sponsor, Cat Five Studios. Thank you to the production team, Becky Coffee, Becca Coffee, associate producer, intern, video and audio editing, Ayana Sanders, Steve Nees, video interns, Nick Morales, Alex Teal, music by Dave Francis, Sophie Lloyd, Charles Fleming, Elijah Sutton, and sound effects by Matt, our own Matt Miller, sitting across the table from us, Dave Francis, and Miguel Centra. So employers, visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can get matched to amazing intern talent, be recognized as an employer for change, and also upskill your mid to senior level employees. Thank you for supporting the Intern Whisper, and we hope that you subscribe to our show on Podbean or your favorite podcast channels. Dana, thank you so much. You're welcome so much. Awesome.